God is faithful, church. Come on, whether you believe that or whether you don't doesn't change the fact that God is faithful. Amen? And no matter what you think is going on in the world and you think things are out of control, God is faithful. Amen? And his mercies endure to, as everlasting to everlasting. Amen. To those that love him. Do you love the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. Church, great things are coming. Let not your heart be troubled. Amen. Jesus said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you. Not peace that the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Amen. Come on, we're not afraid this morning. Praise God. God's in control. Amen. Praise the Lord. Look around at somebody and say, God's in control. Amen. Thank you, Hunter. Worship team, God bless you guys. You've blessed me this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Children, if you guys want to go ahead and head out for Children's Church, if you've already signed them in, you go ahead and check them in. Man, it is so good to see you all in church. Y'all are some handsome people. You know that? I think I got some of the prettiest people in the church anywhere in the world. Amen. Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Beautiful people. Amen. Amen. Well, I just had a word this morning that I felt like God wanted to, every one of us to hear and our listening audience around the world. Uh, I want to start off by saying that a lot of people are upset right now with what's going on in America with the electoral process and all of that. And I'm not going to get into all that too much into politics, but I do want to set your mind at ease. No matter how you voted or what you think about all of that, let me tell you what's going on. And this is not what I'm preaching on, but I felt I should read this passage of Scripture and just clarify a few things before we do get into the Word today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you to not be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Come on, church. God is asking you, don't be shaken in mind. Don't be troubled, Okay either by spirit or by word or by letter, as is from us, as the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Are you seeing a falling away, yes or no? Come on. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's going to come to pass. All right? That's going to come to pass. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. That who may be revealed? The son of perdition. He'll be revealed in his own time. <clears throat> Verse 7 says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Do we see lawlessness in the land? Everywhere you look. More and more, from one generation to the next to the next, it gets worse and worse and worse, and it's going to continue to get worse. I'm sorry to tell you. 
Only he, capital H, that is a reference to the Holy Spirit of God, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed who the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. China's not going to consume him. Russia's not going to, America, the Congress, the Senate, the President, the Supreme Court, God is going to consume him. Do you see this? With the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. Now the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Is there any lying going on right now? Mm-hmm. And all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Is there any deception going on right now? Oh, yeah. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Is there any lying going on? Mm-hmm. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Church, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. The president doesn't restrain evil. Doesn't matter who controls the Congress. Doesn't who matters controls the Senate. It doesn't matter who, what's, how the Supreme Court is balanced, which side is heavier than the other. <clears throat> Conservatives are not going to restrain the evil one. Patriots are not going to restrain the evil one. He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Church, this is a spiritual battle. It always has been. It always will be. It's a spiritual battle. And God has mandated and he has, he has decreed certain things are going to happen. They're going to take place. And there is nothing we can do. You can't vote the right people in and change that. The vote, wrong people get voted in doesn't change that. Nothing's going to change the decree of God. You have to understand these things have to unfold. And it's going to unfold in one generation or another. We would prefer it unfolds in some other generation. Come on. I'm sure the first century church that was living under the tyranny of corrupt emperors during the whole time that the New Testament was being written, and they're saying, have faith in God, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And they were under the most tyrannical leadership that you can imagine. They're torturing them and, and slaughtering Christians. They're, they're turning them loose in, in, in theaters and having them ripped apart with wild animals and stuff for entertainment. But they didn't live in fear and dread. They lived in hope and faith. Yes. Yes. Do, do, are you hearing me, church? Yes. And so you need to take heart. God is still in control and God is going to do some miraculous things. I'm, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. But I wouldn't be surprised to see the church under persecution in the future. But bear in mind that every time the church has ever been persecuted, it always grew. Yes. Revival comes from persecution. And so I don't know what's going to unfold. I don't know how things are going to go. I wish they were better. We all do. But it is what it is. Amen. If you want to change behavior... You change people's heart. All right. Our job is and always has been to go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
I'm not saying don't be politically involved and politically engaged. By all means, do that. If you want to go to the Capitol and show your support, if you want to write your congressman, do all those things. Run for office, get in office, absolutely do those things. But church, I, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that that's not going to restrain the evil one. It's a spiritual battle. Our job is to tell the good news. It always has been. I do my battle right here each and every Sunday. Been doing it for 20 some years right here. Because it's a spiritual battle. The way you change things is you change people's hearts. When you change their hearts, you change their thinking. When you change their thinking, you change their behavior. But it all begins with the change of the heart and only God can do that. Amen? That was meant to be a word of encouragement. I hope you're encouraged. Amen. Let's pray and then we're going to get into the word. Father, we just thank you so much that you are such an, a, a good God. You're a good, good God. You're faithful, Lord. And Lord, you've always been faithful to your people. Always, Lord. And Father, whatever comes in this life, Lord, we know that this is just, this is just a temporary setting, Lord. Because we look for a, 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 a city whose builder and maker is God. This is not our home. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through here, God. And Father, the way we live this life is going to determine whether or not, where we spend eternity, whether or not we're in your presence or not. So God, we, we want to get this right, Lord. We want to be in your presence, God. Because eternity is in the future, Lord. It's in, it's in the balance, God. So I pray, Father, today that, Lord, we hear the heart of your, of your spirit, Lord. As we look into your word today, anoint the word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, listen, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture today, so just get your pencil out and write them down and, or whatever you do, your notebook, however you take notes and jot these scriptures down because <clears throat> I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. Beginning in Deuteronomy first. For the setting is at the foot of Mount Horeb, the holy mountain. God has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they're at the foot of this mountain. And God says to them in the 10th verse, the latter part of the 10th verse, God tells Moses, he said, gather the people to me. And I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. And that they may teach their children Today I'm going to be talking about, I, I hope every politician, every political figure tunes in and hears this message. Every person in the world needs to hear this message today. Because the fear of God is the theme that is predominant throughout the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. It is, it is referenced directly between 150 and 175 times in scripture. And it's illustrated hundreds of times throughout scripture. But sadly, it is completely overlooked by many modern Christian churches and Christian individuals today. And that's reflected in the conduct that we see both in spiritual leaders and in parishioners sitting in the pew. Come on, we're seeing people do things in the name of Christ that's not Christian. I just heard of a great, great minister of the gospel that just passed away and they're discovering some horrible things about his behavior. It's heartbreaking. What does that tell me? He didn't fear God. I don't know if any of you remember Jim Baker, 
the 700 Club, when, he, when that all fell apart. And I think it was John Bevere went to see him one time and asked him, said, Jim, when did you stop loving God? And he said, John, I never stopped loving God. He said, I stopped fearing him. I stopped fearing God. A pastor once said, I don't know who he was, said, the fear of God is the very soul of godliness. Old and New Testament. You take away the soul and all that is left is a stinking carcass. Come on, without our soul, you're just a stinking old dying rotten carcass. Amen? You take away the fear of God from any expression of godliness and all that is left is the stinking carcass of Phariseeism. The Pharisees had no fear of God. And I don't want to be a Pharisee. How about you? So in the age when the church seeks to be culturally relevant, it seeks to be trendy, seeker sensitive. I mean, it's all about who's got the most amenities nowadays. Who's got the best coffee? Who's got the best facility? Who's got the best music? You know, when we're trying to be cutting edge, and I mean, cool, being cool is in. I, I watched a preacher this morning. He's walking around preaching with a cup of coffee in his hand. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, put the coffee down for crying out loud. Stop trying to be so cool, you know. I love this guy. He's a great minister. I minister, but I'm like, come on, dude, stop. Just stop. Just let's be real, amen. <laughs> the fear of God is something that I find lacking much in the modern Christian experience. But, but yet it is something that is critical in our Christian experience. It was the dominant, uh, great and dominant attribute of our forefathers. I mean, when they referred to someone's character, they would refer to a person as he is a God-fearing man. I mean, you ever heard that? He's a God-fearing man. That was a reference to their character. So... <clears throat> What are some of the requirements and benefits pertaining to the fear of God? First of all, one cannot truly learn about the nature and expectation of God without first having a healthy understanding of the fear of God. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, listen, there are mathematicians today, they will fill up an entire wall with figures trying to solve a problem some of the most brilliant minds in the world, mathematicians, but every one of them had to learn beginning at one, two, three, four. Come on, how many of you remember when you finally learned to count to 10? Hallelujah. It, we all start the same place. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, whatever, in every language, it all begins the same way. To the highest degree of, of academia that you can earn today is a doctor's degree in whatever discipline you earn that in. But every doctorate, I don't care who they are and how smart they all, they all begin with A, B, C. It, we all have a beginning and we all have to begin at the same place. We, we have to learn at the, at the same place. <clears throat> you cannot expect to grow in the knowledge of God without first having the fear of God. It is the beginning of knowledge, the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So you have to start learning about the things of God by first of all, learning the fear of God. So the fear of God is the beginning and chief part of all true heavenly wisdom. Secondly, Jesus is the sum and substance of our faith. And since the spirit of the fear of God was given to him and it is sent out from him to be without the fear of Christ, 
is to be without the spirit of Christ. And according to Romans 8, 9, it says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now listen, I am not trying to replace the Holy Spirit with the spirit of the fear of God. And let me clarify something here. I'm not talking about the spirit of fear. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a love, joy, and a sound mind. The fear of the Lord is something entirely different than the spear of fear. The, sphere, the spirit of the fear of the Lord was what was given to Jesus. Look at Isaiah chapter 11 with me. <clears throat> As Isaiah is prophesying of who Jesus will be, he said, I, it, there shall come forth a root from the stem of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David, all right? So there's going to be a root coming from Jesse. That'll be King David. And a branch shall come out of his roots. What is the branch coming out of the roots of David? That would be Jesus Christ. He is a descendant of King David. Now, verse 2 says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, the rest of this verse is parenthetical. It is describing what the spirit of the Lord is. Okay. The spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse three says, his delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by sight of his eyes nor discern by the hearing of his ears. So how is Jesus going to judge? He's not gonna judge by what he sees. He's not gonna judge by what he hears. He's gonna judge by the moving and the inspiration and the leading of the Holy Spirit and he's gonna be judging by the fear of God. The spirit of the fear of God was on Jesus Christ. You see, the spirit of the fear of God and the Holy Spirit are one and the same. Yeah. Not replacing the spirit is the, of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord all defines who this Holy Spirit is. And it was that spirit that Jesus received and you and I received. See, Romans 8, 11 says, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on you, he will quicken your mortal body. Yeah. We didn't get a different Holy Spirit than Jesus did. Same Holy Spirit. And so the spirit of the fear of the Lord was resting upon him. And that same spirit is resting upon you and I if we are truly born again Christians. So if you're without the spirit of the fear of the Lord, then you're without the spirit of Christ. And Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. So listen, the fear of God is not optional. If you're going to truly be a born again child of God, you're going to have the fear of God in your life. It's not optional. You can't be a Christian and not have the fear of God in your life. Not truly. You'll just be another religious person. You'll be another Pharisee. You'll be that dying carcass that doesn't have any spirit or life in it. You're just religious. There's a lot of religious people in the world today that do not know Christ. Now, I'm not, I'm not God. I can't say who's saved and who's not saved, but I know what the word says. Amen. Come on. And I'm no one's judge. I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying there's things that I see and it's questions to me is that person could possibly know the same God that I know and do the things they do. And John talks about this. If any man be in God, he sinneth not. And he cannot sin. 
because the Spirit of God is in him. He says, what are you saying? We don't sin, no. The word there means he does not deliberately and habitually sin if you're born of God. And I see people habitually doing this sinning over and over as a habit, and they know that it's wrong and they're doing it deliberately. And according to the Word of God, you cannot be a Christian and do that. You don't have the Spirit of God. You have no fear of God. And do that. Come on, church. Thirdly, the measure of spiritual growth of any believer or any church and the favor that God will show them will be found in the measure to which a believer or a church is increased in their fear of Christ. Acts chapter 9 verse 31 says, The church throughout all Judah, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. Come on, you want peace? They were edified. You want edification? And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. If you want God's blessing on your life, you will increase in the fear of the Lord. And the more God increases that, the more God will increase his favor upon your life. It'll be multiplied, his peace, edification, and comfort. We should all want the favor of God. I certainly want the favor of God on my life. Amen. Something happened to somebody the other day, and it was just out of the ordinary. Somebody just blessed them, and I I looked at Jeannie. I said, honey, that's the favor of God. That's the favor of God on that person. So we should all want the favor of God, but if the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, and if we never will earn a doctorate without learning ABC, you'll never be a mathematician without learning one, two, three, you will never have the favor of God without learning the fear of God because it's the beginning of knowledge of the things of God. So let's start with the basics. What is, what am I talking about? What is the fear of God? What is that? Well, one commentator says, to be ignorant of the meaning of the fear of God is to be ignorant of the basic and essential doctrines of revealed Christian faith. You don't even know the beginning of what it means to be a Christian until you first learn the fear of God. That's what he's saying. Now note, it would be wrong to say that every man that cannot explain or define the fear of God is then devoid of the fear of God because the fear of God is one of the blessings of the new covenant. Jeremiah, when he was prophesying about the New Testament church in Jeremiah 32 verse 38, he says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. Verse 40, the latter part of verse 40 says, and I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. So part of what happens when you become a Christian is God gives you a certain measure of fear of him. All right. You say, well, what is that fear? Let's, let's get into that and see what that means to have the fear of God. Many here are not strangers to the fear of God in their experience, but you can have the fear of God and still be limited in your understanding. And, and I was for many years, I was limited in what it, understanding what it means to have the fear of God on my life. The Bible teaches that we are to grow in grace and knowledge, and so we should intellectually understand and grow in the things of God, and one of those things is the fear of the Lord. Some have concepts of the fear of God that are erroneous. They're mistaken or they're flawed or they're just incorrect. Some people have the right concept of what the fear of the Lord is, but they reject it. And then others attach their own meaning to it. So no matter which one of those you have, it's all erroneous. 
The word used for the fear of the Lord in both the Hebrew and the Greek, it has two distinct or common uses. The first one, let's look at this. The first fear in Greek is the, it is the word phobos. We get the word phobia from that. You, if you're arachnophobia, what is arachnophobia? Uh, it's a fear of spiders. Okay, so that phobia, that word phobia, it comes from the Greek word phobos, and it means terror. It means to be terrified, to be afraid, to be frightened or scared or, uh, or, or to have dread. It, it's like you got a little nine-year-old boy in, in, living on the block, and down the block is this big, strong 14-year-old bully. All right, and every day he goes to school, this 14-year-old bully beats him up and takes his lunch money. You know, so he's afraid to come out of the house. He's got phobia. He's afraid. Now, this bully has got his homeboys. He can beat all of them up too because he's the biggest, baddest thing on the block. But they are not afraid of him. What's the difference? They are in his favor. This little nine-year-old boy, even though he's done nothing to him, nothing wrong, is out of his favor. And when he's out of his favor, he has to dread him and fear him because he's not in his favor. And that is an unjust fear. Listen, God is not a bully. Come on. He doesn't do anything unjustly. God is just. And everything he does is just. And so you got this bully, and, and that's one type of fear this boy has. He's afraid because he is aware of the threat that can be done to him because he is out of favor. He's afraid. So Deuteronomy chapter 2 is the first example. It says, risk, it says rise. This is the children of Israel that are getting ready to go in and possess the land. Rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given it into your hands, Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it, engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put dread and fear of you upon the nations under, who, uh, under the whole heaven, who shall hear and report of you and shall, shall, uh, and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So everybody around them, he's like, look, go in here. I'm going to give this land to you. You go battle them and you're going to annihilate them. And when you do, that's going to be reported everywhere. And everyone is going to fear you. Now, the, by the way, these people had it coming. All right? They were complete rebels. They, they hated God. They were against God. And let me tell you something. Would you declare war against God? Come on. In the political arena, I'm not getting real political, but there's people that's declaring war against God. They want to take the theme of America, in God we trust. They want to wipe that out. They will not use that as an American theme anymore. I'm like, are you out of your mind? You don't declare war against God. Are you a fool? You can't win that battle. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So are they fools? <laughs> Without question. Not because I said so. I'm not, I'm not standing in judgment to say somebody's a fool, but the word of God says they are. You just don't fight God. In church, I told you, there's a spiritual battle going on. God told Moses, he said, Moses, they're not fighting against you. They're fighting against me. 
Another example is Rahab the harlot, Joshua chapter 2. Children of Israel, they've been come out of Egypt. They've wandered 40 years in the wilderness. Now they're getting ready to go and possess the land. And there's Jericho. They send in the spies. And two spies go in there and they're looking around and all of a sudden they're discovered. They run and hide in a harlot who, by the way, becomes one of the ancestral grandmothers of Jesus. (laughs) Talk about redemption. One of his great grandmothers was a prostitute named Rahab. And so the spies are in there, and this is what Rahab says to them. And she said, verse 9, chapter 2, and she said unto them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you. And when you came out of Egypt and what he did unto the kings of the Amorites, that's what we just read about in Deuteronomy, And that there were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. What did he say? You go in and destroy them and they're going to tell that to everyone. So everyone's heard it. Here they are in Jericho. They're like, we've heard about that. We heard what you did to them. Whom you utterly destroyed, verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Church, listen to me. If these heathen people had enough good sense to hear the reports of what God did, and now they see that God has sent his people here, And they've got enough good sense to be afraid because they know what God is capable of to those that's out of his favor. We should have enough good sense to know what God is capable of when we are out of his favor. And we should live with that same kind of horror and dread. Our hearts should faint within us to think that I would do something contrary to his law. People in Jericho's got more sense than a lot of people who profess to be Christians today in the way they live, my Lord. They have no fear of God. So we see the meaning of the fear here is to be afraid, is to have dread and terror. The people of the land, they were afraid of Israel because they knew what God could do and what he would do for them. Psalms 105 verse 36 says, he also destroyed all the firstborn of their land and the first of all their strength. This is talking about in Egypt. He he sent them all these plagues and trying to convince Pharaoh to let them go and he wouldn't do it. And finally, killed the firstborn of every household that didn't have the blood over the doorpost and on the lintel. Verse 37, it said, he brought them out with silver and gold and there was none feeble among them. Egypt was glad when they departed for the fear of them had fallen upon them. So even Egypt had enough sense. I mean, eventually to know, you just don't mess with God. Come on, he's telling you to do something. You had best do it because there can be retribution that you don't want if you disobey. Look at Ananias and Sapphire. They didn't have to sell their land. They didn't have to give the money to the church, but they did, and they did it deceptively. It's when you're saying, I'm doing all this, I'm a child of God, and I'm this, and I'm all that. 
but really you're not and you're doing things that you don't think anybody else knows about because they sold their land and they brought part of it and they kept back part of it. And he walks in, Ananias walks in and Peter said, did you sell the land for so much? You're like, yeah. He said, why do you, why do you try to tempt the Holy Spirit of God? And he fell dead right in his presence. Sapphire comes in later, having privy to that information, said, did you sell the land for so much? He said, yeah, for so much. He said, behold the feet of the men that carried your husband out. They will carry you out too. And she fell down dead. That's New Testament church. That's not Old Testament. That was the first church. Acts 5.11 says, and so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Church, we're still hearing those things today. What if God visited the church today like he did with Ananias and Sapphire? Listen, he's the same yesterday and today and forever. Don't think that he would not do that in our day and age. If we are that deceptive, you shouldn't play with the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you. So Old Testament and New Testament is the same common meaning of this word, terror and dread. They feared God because they know what he is capable of doing to them that are out of his favor. And if he does that, he is justified. Because, listen, they did it to themselves. It wasn't, I mean, if you want to be in God's favor, obey him. And his favor will be on you. If you disobey him, you bring it on yourself. It's the retribution of sin. But you also find in the Old Testament and the New Testament the same word, but it has an entirely different meaning. This is the second common use. The word fear means to venerate. It means to honor. It means to respect. It means to revere, to have all. It's the same fear that came on the shepherds. You remember? There were shepherds abiding in the field by night and, and, and so forth and so on. When Jesus was born, Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. It's the same word. They're terrified. Because they don't know this is friend or foe. In their mind, it's like, this thing is big, and it could do... If it decides it wants to squish me, it can. You know, this, this is like the 14-year-old bully down the street for all they know. And then he said, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And all of a sudden, the same word, that fear, that terror, that dread that they had for him, transform into reverence and honor and awe of the same being. You understand? So it's the nine-year-old boy. He's got an invitation to the White House. The year's 1986, and he's going to go in and meet President Ronald Reagan. He's standing there, and like any of us, he's breathing hard, he's sweating, he's nervous. When you stand in the presence of someone that is honorable, because you understand this is the most powerful man in the world right here. He is the commander-in-chief of the greatest military force on the planet. And I know what he's capable of doing if he chooses to. All right? But the nervous that I have is not because I think he's going to squish me. It's out of the reverence and the awe and respect that I have for this man. But now if I give him a reason, he can he should, and he will 
use his, his ability to do whatever needs to be done. Amen? So you don't dread this man. You revere him. You honor him. You respect him. You have awe of him because he's not like the bully that hurts you unjustly. Now, <laughs> the same thing is true with a mom and dad. Huh? You love your mother. You love your father. But Leviticus chapter 19 verse 3 says, Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. You're going to fear your mom and dad. And that's the same word. The word it's the word that means you should, you're... Uh, You don't fear mom and dad because they're like that bully, but it's the same word. It obviously has a different meaning. You fear mom and dad like you fear the presence. You have respect and you have awe and you have uh, uh, reverence for them because of their dignity or the position that they hold. You venerate them and honor them and respect them. But if you give them reason to punish you, that same fear turns from that reverence and at all to, oh no. Because I would get this, Bernie, you're going to get it when you get home. Because I'd done something and mama found out about it or daddy found out about it and I always went home. And they never forgot. And I always got it when I got home. I got a whipping for burning down the chicken house and I hadn't even been near that chicken house. Another boy burnt the chicken house down, but somebody ratted on me and said, I burnt the chicken house down and I got a whooping for that. Same woman called up and said, Bernie's over here tearing down my fence. And mama said, I done whipped him one time because you told me that. And he's playing in the front yard right now. He can't be over there tearing your fence down. You know why she was doing that? Because I beat up her little boy. <laughs> she wanted to get even with me. I beat him up again, too, after that. I was a bad boy. I, got, I, got, I had a fear for mom and dad because they always, no, I mean, no. you're going to get it when you got home, and I did, too, boy. One time I got it for mom and then daddy got home, I got it again from him. I played hooky from school, second grade. I would have had a perfect attendance, but Fuzz talked me into it, my, neighbor, my buddy. Let's, take, let's play hooky today. That was the most boring day I mean, half the day was gone. We didn't have no lunch. I got tired of playing. I wanted to go home. Well, we went home and school wasn't out. Uh, I wasn't real bright either. See, we should fear when we have reason to fear. Commentary says it is the essence of impiety to not be afraid of God when there is reason. Just imagine Adam, imagine Adam coming, skipping up to God after he had de deliberately disobeyed God. I mean, he didn't have to interpret what God was saying. God himself said, don't eat from that tree, and he disobeyed God. Now, can you imagine God showing up in the cool name and said, Adam, where art thou? And he goes skipping up to God and says, hey, what up, God? Beautiful weather we're having, isn't it? Huh? That's the essence of impiety. To not be afraid of God when you have reason to. That's the essence of the hardness of the heart, of the searing of the conscience, the disrespect and insult towards God. And many people do that today. They are living in vast, just drastic contrast to the, to the word of God. 
But when you ask them, it's like, oh, yeah, me and God, we're, we're homeboys, you know. We're good. No respect. No fear of God. If Adam had any remaining sense of who God was, and of the, this is the commentary, and the, and the terrible thing that he had done and the seriousness of the consequences of his actions, he shall surely die, then he should be terrified. And he was. He went and hid himself. And what did God say? Why did you hide yourself? I was afraid. Why were you afraid, Adam? Because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? And in the conversation you see. Anytime our actions are in blatant, deliberate violation to God's law, it is right to be and we should be afraid of God. Deuteronomy 17, verse 13, the context here is if a man fails to keep the directives of the judges of Israel, he shall be put to death. Why? This would be to set an example for others. So God put the judges in place and he said, you are to do what they tell you to do. They're my representatives on the earth. God has always had human representatives, flawed human vessels to conduct his affairs. I am one of those. Do I always get it right? No, I don't. Am I wrong? A lot of times. Should you submit to that anyway? Absolutely. Was Moses right all the time? No. But when the people resisted Moses, God said, they're not resisting you, Moses. They're resisting me. And so God said, you you do what the judges tell you. Listen, if they get it wrong, God will deal with them. If I get it wrong, God will deal with me. That's not your place to deal with me. That's God's place to deal with me. And believe me, I don't want to get it wrong. Because I would rather you deal with me than God deal with me. Amen. Come on. Deuteronomy 17 verse 13 says, And all the people shall hear and fear and do no more presumptuously. All right. So what would be the conversation of their friends if, if, if God is going to punish someone? What is going to be the conversation to their friends the next day? You, you've, got, you've got this kid and he, he's, a, he's your son and he's stubborn. He's rebellious. He's defiant. And you've tried and you've tried and you've tried. And this kid just will not submit. Deuteronomy chapter 21 says, Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of this place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, this is our son, he is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton, he is a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. So thou shalt, so shalt thou put evil away from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. That was Old Testament way they dealt with rebellion and stubbornness and defiance. Now, what is the homeboys going to say next time they get together and they found out old Mr. Smarty Pants over here who wouldn't do what mom and dad told him to do got stoned to death at the gate? What are they going to do now? Huh? They're going to go running home and say, Mama, can I carry the trash out for you? Daddy, you want me to split some firewood? You want me to wash your car? You want me to change the oil? Just whatever you want me to do, Daddy. Just tell me to do it and it's done. Amen. Come on. Am I right? Say amen. Come on. Let me ask this side. Am I right? Say amen. Come on. 
Some people say, well, we should love God, but we should obey God because we love him. Well, yes, you should. But let me ask you, did you obey your mom and daddy because you love them? Mm-hmm. Come on, don't sit there and act all holy. No, you did a lot of catfishing. Let me remember, remember the Sunday that uh, uh, the brother got up here and he's talking about how mama said, you got to be home at a certain time. Said, but we found out that if we were going catfishing, we could stay out all night. And so we did a lot of catfishing. Only they didn't have any fishing poles, you know. Come on. You didn't obey mom and daddy because you loved them. You got away with everything you thought you could get away with without getting caught. Well, let me tell you something about our Heavenly Father. You always get caught. Mama and daddy might not have found out. Come on. All the whoopings I got, I deserved every one of them, and I probably should have got a whole lot more. Because there's a lot of stuff that I, they didn't know about, but God always finds out. He knows. Amen. You knew that you were going to get it when you got home, so you, you obeyed them out of dread and fear, not because you loved them. You knew what you were going to get if they found out. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we all have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, talking about our earthly fathers, indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, talking about God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Come on, I want God to jerk the slack out of me. Why? Because I want to be acceptable in his sight. I want to be holy. I wanted my mom and dad to keep me in line. Come on, I didn't want to be a rebellious little kid that winds up down here in a penitentiary somewhere because if you don't listen to mom and dad, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to listen to that guy that's got that, back, that black robe on and that gavel in his hand. When then it comes down and they drag you away and you hear them bars go, clam, you'll pay attention then. I would a whole lot rather listen to my mom and dad and avoid all of that. Amen? Come on. It's then proper for, uh, for the New Testament believer to be afraid of God. Is it, is it? Is it proper to be afraid of God? We're thinking in the New Testament. We, we, we serve God not just because we love him. I serve him because I don't want to get toasted. Huh? I don't want the wrath of God on my life. I don't want to be an Ananias and Sapphire. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12, verse 4. I say unto you, my friend, be not afraid of them that can kill the body. And afterwards, they have no more that they can do. Listen, if the government were to start persecuting the church, the worst thing they can do is kill you. But after that, there's not a thing they can do to you. Eternity waits for me after that. You don't have to be afraid of that. I mean, none of us wants to, be, to die. But I mean, after you're dead, I mean, what else can he going to do to you? Verse 5 says, but I will forewarn you who, whom you shall fear. 
Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast you into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Is it right to fear God? Oh, yes. That's not a fear of veneration at all. That is the fear of terror and dread. I want to tell you something, brother. The image of my dad's leather belt kept me from doing a whole lot of bad stuff. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I come from old school. I come from biblical school. Well, if you love your child, you're you chasing them. You know, the old saying, spare not the rod, uh, spoil the child and spare the rod, and you spoil the child. You need to read what Proverbs has to say about that. Solomon said, if, if you love your son, you don't spare the rod. So if you beat us thy son with a rod, he shall not surely die. <laughs> but you'll deliver his soul from hell. You an unruly child brings his mother to shame. There's a whole lot to say about that. And my dad, he, he kept me from doing a whole lot of stupid stuff that we'll probably wound up in prison or something. Likewise, the image of hell keeps me from fleshing out sometimes. Amen. Come on. You want to hurt somebody or cuss somebody out or do something. The image of hell is like, mm, let me think about that a minute. So let me say it again. If your conduct is a blatant disregard of God's law, dread and terror is a proper response towards God. For judgment is what awaits that person to the believer as well as the unbeliever. Hebrews 6 Hebrews 6, verse 4, it says, For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift. They've been partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the power of the age to come. If they should fall away to renew them again into repentance, since they have crucified again to themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. That's, that scares me right there, church. Hebrews 4.1 says, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of us should seem to come short of it. Yeah. We've got a promise of entering into his rest. That's called heaven. Amen. Come on. I'm, I'm, heaven is a promise to me. But he says you need to fear lest that promise left to you, you come short of it. So how, is, how can I, as a believer, come short of that promise? Hebrews 10, 26 says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignations which shall devour the adversary. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God? He has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. This is talking about a believer, a Christian. Heathens are not sanctified. This is a clear reference to a person that's born again, sanctified child of God. And you've counted that as an unholy thing. And you've done despite unto the spirit of grace. For you know him that said, vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Brother, that should be... Ding-a-ling, answer the phone. Amen. 
A blatant disregard of God's law brings dread and terror. It is right to be afraid of God, yes. If you have lived in a way that warrants that kind of response. Now, many people today, they are simply blind and deaf to this. They, they are, they're, there's something over their, their spiritual eyes, they can't see it. There's something over their spiritual ears, they can't hear it. Or they're deliberately covering their eyes. They're deliberately, the Bible talks about they'll run towards destruction with their fingers in their ears. They have access to the truth, they're hearing it, but they don't want to hear it. It's deliberate, willingly ignorant. You take a man and he's on a railroad track and the train's coming in his direction. It's gonna wipe him out. Oncoming train. And we try to convince him, listen, this thing's gonna wipe you out. This is God and his judgment is coming. But a lot of people say, well, there is no God. No God. I don't have any need to be afraid of God. What? They're, they're blind. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. They're blind. Or oh, they're deaf. This is all nonsense. You Christian people, they believe in, you know, who was the, the, the Marxist guy, Karl Marx? He said that Christianity is the opioid of the masses to control the masses. And he mocked God. Yeah, I bet he's not mocking God right now. Uh-huh, I bet he found out. Ruth Gator Ginsburg stood for abortion, all that, defied God. I guess she found out now. Too little, too late. I don't, I, I don't rejoice in that. I grieve for them. God, have mercy. I wish, I wish everyone, the Bible says it's God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. God doesn't want to do this to anyone. He sent his son. He said, God so loved the world, mankind. He sent his own son to die for you. He didn't want anyone to perish. The people, they're either blind, they simply don't know any better, or others are ignorant. Well, God is a loving God. He would never send one of his creatures to hell. God's, he, he's a God of mercy and love. He's not, I can do whatever, he's not gonna send me to hell. See, what happens, man cannot handle living with that kind of dread and terror. You say to them, well, the train is coming. The train's coming, it's coming. Fear the wrath that is to come. They said, no, 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 it's just a mirage. Man will seek to change the character of God or they will submerge themselves in sensual delight so that they can push those thoughts utterly out of their mind. Have you ever wondered why people fill the atmosphere with noise all the time? Always got to have something going in the background. Now, I do that because I got ringing in my ears, Okay. It's called tendonitis, whatever, that constant ringing. So I, we sleep with a fan in the room. Because you turn that fan off, it's like, oh, I can't sleep. Whee! How are you going to sleep with that? So we turn the fan on. But other than that, people will just, they want to drown out their thoughts. Man don't like to be left alone with his thoughts. He's trying to tune out the sound of the turning of the wheels of the oncoming God. If I can just fill my mind with delight, I'll not have to suffer and feel the agony and the dread until it overtakes me. So I have to distract myself. I've got to stay busy lest I hear and see the rumbling of the wheels. Psalms 119, 120 says, my flesh trembles for fear of thee. 
and I am afraid of thy judgments. Psalms 90.11 says, who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Some are blind and death. They honestly think that they're good with God. They think God is going to have pity on them somehow. And some are willingly ignorant. Say, willing? Yeah. They've heard. They've been told. They know what is right. But they try to convince themselves. Well, I believe. I pray. I read my Bible. I do great things for God. Matthew 7, 21 addresses that. It said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but they'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Say, I prophesied in your name. I cast out devils in your name. I did many mighty works in your name, Lord. But he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They try to convince themselves, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But they're in rebellion. They're defiant. They're not submissive. They're convinced that they got it all together. They're more spiritual than everybody else, in fact. First Corinthians 6 says, do you not know? Verse 9, I'll be deceived. He's talking to the church, guys. He's not talking about the world. Don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I believe, I read my Bible, I testify, I do this and I do that. Yeah, but you're a whoremonger. You're a thief, you're a drunkard, you're a homosexual, this and that and the other thing. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot blatantly defy the laws of God and not suffer the wrath of God. You just can't. You should never think, well, I'm redeemed. I can get away with this little trespass of the law or that little sin. I can compromise here a little. God won't mind. I'm a child. He's going to let me slide. Blatant disregard. Listen, Romans 11 clarifies this probably clearer than any other scripture. Verse 19, Romans chapter 11 says, you will say then, now he's talking to the church. This is the church at Rome. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. What's he talking about? He's talking about that God stopped dealing with the nation of Israel and started dealing with the Gentile church or the church age. And so the Israelite, Jesus said he came to his own and his own received him not. The apostle Paul, all the apostles went to the Jews first. Romans chapter one, verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto, uh, unto everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as is written, just shall live by faith. So they all went to the Jews first. But that natural branch, the Jewish branch, was cut off that we, the Gentile church, could be grafted in. Are you seeing this? Verse 20 says, well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. But do not be haughty, but fear. Everybody say fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness, and, the goodness and severity of God. 
on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if. On those that fell, it was severe. But on you, he's going to give you goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Church, it can't get any clearer than that. You cannot just blatantly disrespect and and, and disobey God's law and expect not to suffer the wrath of God. It just doesn't work that way. It didn't work with the nation of Israel. They were cut off because of their disobedience. And it's not going to work with the Christian church either. You have to walk in reverence and awe and respect and obedience to God. If you expect to to benefit from his his blessing and his goodness, his favor. So should a Christian have that kind of fear? Anytime our actions are blatant, violation of God's law, it is right and it is proper to have that kind of fear. Amen? Amen. Say, Pastor, you scared me this morning. <laughs> Come on. I hope I did, because it scares me when I read that stuff. Say, you sure done scared me this morning. <laughs> I hope I have, especially if you're living outside of God's will. And I laugh, you know, but come on, but this is serious. Serious business. Amen. So why don't you stand with me this morning, guys? And I'm just going to ask you, if you will, for the next few minutes, just stand. If, if, you're, if you're in a good place with God and your, your heart is right, if it's not, right now is a good time for you to get that straight. Amen. But if you are, I'm going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, just be praying, because there's a lot of people listening. Maybe they've never heard anything like this before. They've never heard a preacher preach like that. And, and I'm not here to judge other pastors. They, they preach according to whatever God's put in their heart. But, you know, I, I, I would love to come in, just be a feel-good preacher, and just make you feel good. But the Bible talks about the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine. They'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Tell, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me that I'm okay with God. Tell me my lifestyle is God's goodness and his favor and, and, and everything. Don't tell me that God's going to be angry with me. Don't tell me that God's going to discipline me. If, I, if he doesn't discipline I'm not his child and I'm an illegitimate. Don't, don't tell me that. Tell me things that makes me feel good. Guys, I just can't, I've got to answer to God for what I teach. And I'm just not that guy, you know. And I don't mean to, God, I, didn't, I didn't bring you here to beat you up, church. I'm trying to help you here. All right. You know, I, I feel like a lot of times we're, and again, I'm not judging other pastors. God bless them. I, I hope God leads them and they preach whatever the Lord puts on their heart. But I, I fear sometimes we're like the orchestra playing while the Titanic is sinking. You know, you're getting ready to die, but I'm going to make you feel good on the way. No, man, I'm going to be saying, find a lifeboat. Find something that floats. Get off of the boat. It's going down. We don't need to stay on this ship. So every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would, just be praying. But listen, there's people hearing this all around the world, church. Isn't that amazing? All around the world, this message is being heard. 
And if you're one of those that's blind and deaf to the oncoming train, that this judgment that's coming, or if you're just willingly ignorant, the question is, are you going to be the same way tomorrow? You know, would you leave here the same way? Willingly? Blind? Or just blind when you have heard the truth, but you just ignore it? Some people say, well, pastor, you're just trying to scare me. Church, if you've got a guy walking down the tracks, he's got his fingers in his ears, he's got hands over his eyes, and, and you see the train coming, you're going to be yelling to him, man, the train's coming, the train's coming. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to scare you. It's, a, it's, it's out of the reality of what I know. I'm trying to warn you. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which is done, whether it was good or bad. Verse 11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. It's the same word, this, this fear of what God is capable of doing to those that's out of his favor. He said, Out of the terror of the Lord we persuade men. But we are all made manifest unto God, and I trust also our men manifest in your conscience. Some people say, well, the train's not going to hit me. Yes, it will. I'm pretty sure that I'm right with God this morning, myself, speaking for myself. And I don't believe the train's going to hit me. I, I don't believe that I'm going to be judged by God for blatant disobedience to God. But I do worry and fear for those that do. So I warn them, you need to flee the wrath that is headed your way. So if you've never trusted Jesus before, wherever you are listening to this, if you're in this room, if you've never trusted Jesus before, why not today? Why not here? Why not right now? Church, I want you to just pray with me for those that might be in that place it is just this simple. I had the privilege and the honor of leading the young lady to the Lord after church last Sunday. It was just such a, I, I, I just made my day. She didn't really know a lot about what, was, what this was all about. And I, I explained some to her. And I said, it's really just this simple. You just have to say, Jesus, I know that I have sinned against you. And I truly am sorry for that. I don't want to die in my sin. God, I want you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, will you come into my heart and save me? Will you live in my heart? And I will commit my ways to you for the rest of my life. If you will just pray that simple prayer from your heart, the spirit of the living God will enter you. The Bible says you're a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. And I would pray that people would do that all over the world today. The last scripture, and I'm gonna close and dismiss you in prayer. Second Peter chapter two, verse 20. It says, for if... After we have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we are again entangled in them and overcome. The Bible says that the latter end is worse than the, than the beginning. 
It would have been better for them not to have known the ways of righteousness and that after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. So if you're here this morning and you've drifted away from God, the Bible says it would be better for you not to have ever even known or even heard the gospel than to hear it, to be saved from your sin, and then to go back into your sin. He compares it to a dog returning to his vomit and a sow returning to her wallowing. God cleansed you, he set you free, and then you run right back to that same lifestyle. It's a term we use, it's called backslidden. So if you've done that, why don't you return to Christ today? Say, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, the prodigal son, he said, it was better in my father's house, and he came home. And then commit your ways to God. So that instead of fearing him with dread and horror and terror, we will revere him with respect and honor and awe. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I'm going to leave that with you because really this is between you and God. How you deal with that. Amen. Praise God. Now listen, if you want to make that public, I'm not going to call you up in front of the church. That's, I mean, that's fine to do that. It's neither right nor wrong. But it would be nice if you went to somebody and said, you know what, pastor's message really got to me today. I don't want to, it's, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't want to be that person. I want him to fall into the arms of a loving God. You know how you do that? Obey him. How many of you, when you came home and you had done something that your mom and dad, they're so proud of you. And you run into their home. Was not their arms open to receive you, to love you, to encourage you? If you had a healthy mom and dad, that would have been the reaction that you've got, the reception you would have got. That's the father I want to run to. One that's pleased with me. I want to hear him say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom that I have prepared for you. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Well, I've started the, we started the service with worship. I want to end the service with worship. I want to ask you guys to bring the lights up a little bit. Hunter, what you got? You got a song prepared for us? Let's, let's praise the Lord, man. He is faithful. Listen, I hope you've been encouraged today, no matter what's going on in the world around you. God is still faithful, amen?
You say, well, Pastor, why did you preach on the fear of God this morning? I, I don't know. I just feel like our response to what's going on in this world, it needs to begin with the fear of God. I pray every congressman, every senator hears this message and say, you know what? <laughs> I don't have to answer to the American people, although they do. We all have to answer to God. Amen. You better get this right. Because eternity is long and hell is hot. Amen. Never ends. Never ends. Never ends. I always think of a relative, 1960, spent the whole weekend drunk in bed with another woman other than his wife. Monday morning, he died in a car crash. Stood before God as an adulterous drunkard. I'm pretty sure he didn't make it into heaven. I'm not the judge. I don't know. But if I understand the word of God right, he probably didn't make it in. If he didn't, he went to the torments of hell. The Bible describes it as a place where the worm dies not. Outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And he's been there every day, every year, every minute, every second since 1960. And he will never ever escape that. Church, that is sobering to me. That's sobering to me. He will never, ever escape that. My dad's leather belt was a deterrent to keep me from doing some bad things. Brother, the reality of hell keeps me from doing some pretty stupid things. With this old flesh. Come on, every day you have an opportunity to flesh out. that's helped you. Amen. I love you guys. I love you guys. Come on. And I want to see you in heaven. I want us all to have a family reunion in heaven one day. Amen. I want to see you in heaven. Yes. Hallelujah. 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 So Father, we just thank you for our time together, Lord. We ask your blessing, Lord, on this message. Lord, I pray every single person that heard it, God, they realize I mean it with the most sincere heart, God. I, I wasn't trying to be mean or cruel in any way. Lord, it was out of love and compassion and concern that I, I make these things a reality today. Lord, I pray that every person has heard it, and Father, that they will respond accordingly. Jesus, I know you want that. God, you said it's your will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, Lord. And you said, how will they repent unless they have a preacher? And how will they hear the, Lord, the, the, the word of the, of the preacher unless someone is sent? And Lord, you called me a long time ago, and I've come, and God, and I've tried to do what you've told me to do, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you just help them. Lord, the, the Bible says that no man can come to you unless he's drawn by the Spirit. So, Father, I pray that you draw them right now by your Spirit, Lord that lives are transformed and hearts are committed to you all over the place, Lord. Say, so hear this message today. And then, Father, we'll bow our heads and say, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, I pray a blessing over the body of Christ. Lord, I pray a blessing over each and every home that is represented here today. God, may it be a refuge a safe place, an escape from the world, Lord, a place where you're honored, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. 
Lord, strengthen the family today. God, the enemy is trying to divide so many families, Lord. He is working overtime. But God, I pray that you restore the family, strengthen the family today, God. Husbands and their wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other. Lord, I pray a special prayer for those that's walking alone. Lord, that special someone is out there somewhere, Lord. May you make their paths cross that they find each other now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, church. I love you in the Lord.